Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. to the latest episode of the Synth 71 podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the founder of the website, and today I'm joined by two very special guests, Jay Sadler, the Portsmouth women's boss, and the club captain, Jade Bradley. As someone that's from Portsmouth, I've been able to watch the club many times over the past few years, so I'd even consider myself a little bit of a fan, although uh, I do try and stay uh, relatively uh, impartial with a lot of uh, my women's football coverage. But there is uh, certainly uh, a soft spot for my local team. It's been uh, quite sad that I've only none. Well, I've not been able to see them play in such a long time, but I'm in the same boat as many of you, uh, and that's obviously something that we will touch on in today's episode. Um, hope you enjoy. So hi Jay, how are you doing today? Yeah, not too bad. So yourself? Yeah, yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Um, little one's gone to sleep quite well, and um, I've managed to convince my other half to give me an evening off to do this. So uh, if uh, if little one wakes up for the next hour and a half, um, she's uh, she's Sarah's. So uh, yeah, I'm, uh, yeah, I should have a beer with me. This is probably the, the most freedom I've probably had for uh, for a few weeks, to be honest. Jade, how are you getting on? Yeah, I'm not too bad, thank you. I'm not too bad. Missing football a bit too much though. Yeah, have you been keeping yourself entertained? Have you been working throughout the uh, lockdown? Yeah, I've been lucky. I've managed to work through all of it, um, just doing one-to-one stuff or online personal training. So, yeah, I have been one of the lucky ones. So I haven't really lost that structure besides that training element and that that playing element. So, yeah, very lucky. Must be a little bit bittersweet. Um, I know that me and my girlfriend, we've kind of talked, we both work in the public services. Um, in our day jobs and we kind of wonder actually would we quite like to have been furloughed over the last year or would we are we quite happy to have been working so I, I guess it's the grass isn't always greener whichever way it is I think maybe furlough was nicer during the summer but then during this miserable winter we've had um, you'd probably be you'd be begging to go to work so um, yeah you, you never quite know you never quite know but um, obviously we're missing football so let's 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 crack on and talk about some football so um, let's Start from the very beginning for both of you then, really. So, Jade, could you tell me a little bit about your introduction to football? From a kid? Yeah. How did you start playing? Were you inspired by, were you, were you pushed into it by your parents? You have brothers that typically played and you kind of jumped in, jumped involved? Um, no. So, mine was actually my best friend at 
at reception primary school um and he played he played football for his team and the dad uh he, he managed it and I think I went over one night you know how you do dinner with your friends after school and he had training um I had to go along to training because no one could come and get me at the time and I just ended up joining in and then I never didn't join in after that it was every week so that was uh Woodley Hammonds United football club back in the day I think we lost nearly every week but I loved it um and then after that I think I was eight seven or eight no eight and um uh, another girl came to play for Woodley United and she also was playing at Reading uh, for the academy obviously back then I guess there wasn't that much it wasn't a problem if you play for an academy and you want to play for another team on, on another day or whatever uh, and her dad said oh come along come along and kind of just said to the coach look I've got my daughter's playing with another girl. Um, could you come along? And they said, yeah. And I got put in the development squad for about two weeks and then um, jumped straight into the academy and just trained with them until I could actually play, um, until I was old enough to play. And then I was there until I was 19, 20. So it was a long do you think time. That, do you feel like you benefited through playing with boys early on? Yeah, 100%. Um, I think... I, again, back in the day, it wasn't that much of a problem if you play for an academy. It was off-season, you can go and play for another team. So I always went back to go and play for them. And it hit a stage at about probably 11, 12. And I probably was getting a bit of an attitude on me at the same time. But I couldn't stand the fact that I felt like I'd actually developed so much. Um, and I come against the boys. And the only thing that was the difference was the physical side of things. Technically and, and tactically, I was way ahead of them after, after I joined the academy. But physically, obviously, they were just outgrowing me and I was getting so annoyed with it. Um, and I ended up just going back to training and playing with them as much as I could, even friends, even up to the age of probably about, well, probably 19, 20. Um, only a couple of years ago, and I was texting friends, oh, do you want to come to the park? And obviously the, the guys, and they'd come to the park with me and we'd literally just do 1v1s. And they'd outmuscle me every time, but... I say to, to young girls now, if you've got a chance to play with the boys for as long as you can, do it because physically it'll put you in good good stead going forward, 100%. Yeah, I can definitely see it. My um, my little girl's only one year old and it's something that I'd quite like her to do. And then potentially maybe when she's at that eight, nine, ten years old, potentially look for a, a girls only team. Um, I, I like to name drop my uh, my Haven and Waterloo and under fifteen girls side that I coach every episode, so it seems like an appropriate time to do so. And I've got a player named Grace who she played up in a boys team up until the age of under thirteen, um, which is I think the last age group that she could actually. It might, might have been no, it might have been under fourteen actually because it was it was season before. And she was playing in defence for a boys team, but she comes and walks into the girls football, and because she's so combative. I can put her in straight in centre mid and she runs up and down. She's not frightened of a challenge. And actually it's been really useful for me because quite a, a large portion of my team are, are quite new into football. I've only been playing for say maybe about two to three years. So she's a really good role model for the rest of my team. So I, I definitely think there's a benefit early doors just to get that real competitive edge. Um, unless you've maybe got like a, a an older brother or something like that, that you can uh, do like you said down the park and have a little push around and a kick around with then um it's a uh, yeah it's, it's definitely a benefit and uh, what about sort of since then so you you spent a lot a lot of time with at reading that must have been uh, a great experience because they've been uh, one of the 
mainstays of the top level women's football for uh, for a long time now. Yeah, yeah, that was amazing. Um, so that was academy into under 16s and then jumped straight into the college program, which led into the reserve squad. Um, I managed to train with the first team a fair few times. Didn't get any any game time for them, but in terms of yeah development, I think I now at 24, I'm very very grateful that I grew up in an academy because there's fine fine margins that even at like age 14. We were probably, it was probably drummed into us and I come up against players or maybe younger players in, in the team now who haven't grown up in the academy and them sort of things haven't been drummed in as much. Um, and it is, it's just tiny, tiny details. And I'm not saying that us lot that grew up in academies don't, you know, hit every fine mark, uh, fine detail, but there are little bits that you think, okay, yeah, I, I learned that at like 14, 15. Thank God I did. Um, so yeah, it was amazing. And I was surrounded by some, unbelievable players some that are still there at Reading some that have moved on to bigger teams um I mean look at Fran at, at Chelsea now absolutely smashing it um and granted like I say I can't, I can't say I've got any game time with her but just to train um was different class really even if she'd come to college and just join in with a session I'd be like oh my gosh let's ping the ball to Fran Kirby just touched the ground <laughs> and scored the goal. Um, I think, right. yeah, in, in my head, I just classed that as an assist for one of our goals. But um, Yeah, too right. Yeah, but uh, no, it, it was amazing. And yeah, I'm forever grateful for how lucky I was to, to grow up in the academy. And Jay, um, you're uh, to the other side of 30, like myself. So uh, I imagine you probably didn't grow up um, as involved in women's football. So you probably, your most of your football um experience was uh, through watching Liverpool and playing yourself was it yeah yeah football was kind of ingrained um at a young age coming up with my dad watching uh both Liverpool and, and Tramia Rovers um and playing myself um that that was kind of ever from an early age just like my two little boys now it's kind of a lifestyle in a way more than just a sport whether I'm I'm watching it, whether I was playing it, whether I'm coaching it, um, it was always the case. Um, but it, it never, it never kind of materialised into a career or a profession like the ambition and the dream was for me and, and millions of others. Um, it's kind of a cutthroat industry. Um, so coaching was kind of the, the ne- next best thing, really. Um, and that was moved down to Portsmouth oh, about six years ago now uh, to study at the university and. Um, stumbled across some fantastic people down here in Portsmouth um, and managed to, to, to get into coaching that way. And since then, it's kind of uh, become a, a burning ambition and, and a passion of mine and something I enjoy doing and, and want to be the best at. Yeah, you can't be far off one of the longest serving managers in the, la- in the National League now. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, even at a younger age, it's, it's crazy. Um, it's, been one, it's been one hell of a journey, though. It's it's. Fantastic, and I I jumped into women's football um, actually from uh, under nines academy um, at Bournemouth. I was really fortunate when I was at the university to to meet Bruce uh, Saracci, who who was and still is the the head of academy or head of coaching and uh, elite coaching down at Bournemouth. And I managed to do some coaching with the under nines, the boys uh, down there, all about the technical detail and and just the enjoyment and, and the love of the game. And I really enjoyed that. So to jump from that straight into 11 v 11 when I was doing my, my B licence um, into first team football and, and, and women's football was a massive jump. Um, it, but it was fascinating. It was 
just off the, the, the kind of the 2005 um, World Cup in Canada that I stayed up all night to watch, regardless of whether it was England or, or it was Canada, Germany, Sweden, you name it. I, I was I was mesmerised by it and kind of got hooked on it. At the end of the day, it's football. I don't mind. For me personally, there's no preference to who's playing football. The game is still the same game. Um, and I just, I just loved it. And uh, when I went down to training at Porchester Castle, um, Porchester Castle, Porchester School, near the yeah. castle, yeah, um, yeah. with the, the, the manager Craig at the time, um, I kind of came across there and, and I, yeah, just got, just got hooked straight away. I think the, the commitment levels of the girls, um, you're listening even to, to, to JB there, just in terms of how much they, they love the sport, the, the kind of obstacles they have to overcome and the challenges they have to overcome to play at this level. Um, you just felt a massive buy-in and, and anything I could do to support it, I was I was all for it. And five years later, here I still am. Yeah, it's fantastic. I know when I first transitioned from men, boys' youth football over to adult women's football was through the Hampshire Police women's team. And that's just a, a group of players made up from a couple of different teams on a, a Sunday. Uh, we just tend to play tournaments and cup games, but it, it was really nice when we turn up for a game, they all know each other because it was such a small pool of players. But that atmosphere, there was um, there was a lot, there was there was bite during the games, but before and afterwards, there really was this sort of friendly camaraderie where they all had um, sort of respect and a lot of love for each other. And I've, I've never seen that in the men's game or the boys' game at any level. It's just a completely different kettle of fish. And even as a coach in girls' youth football now. The, the CPD opportunities are, are fantastic. Um, having having opportunities to have coaching sessions from people like Perry Northeast, um, and um, I think even going to Bournemouth, as you say, I, I think we've had a couple of CPD sessions just um, within within their stadium, and it's it's fantastic to let you have a little cheeky look over on the pitch, although not step foot on it. And it's um, there there really is a passion to push coaches to do as best they can because they know that that's, there's going to be a trickle-down effect on the players. Um, and even from the under-15s fi- under that league that I coach in on a Saturday, we there are more teams in that age group than there are in any boys' league in Hampshire anywhere. And that, that's fantastic. And it's a similar pattern when you go down the age groups as well. And it's, it's really exciting for five, six years' time when you think, all of these pool of players are going to be pushing up and playing at a level. It's um, it's exciting. It's probably going to be quite difficult for the coaches like yourself. You're going to end up with a massive pool of players. But um, I'm probably touching a little bit more on the uh, conversation of the development squad that's just been relaunched at Portsmouth. So we'll, we'll park that one and come back to it later. So I just want to go to go back to Jade and ask you about the um, FA's new TV deal that they've struck with Sky and BBC. Obviously, it's a fantastic thing. It's going to make women's football much more visible to everyone, including young girls. But growing up, what was your earliest memory of women's football? Can you remember the first women's player that you saw on the television? Um, TV would have been uh, an England game, and that was when you had your Yankees, your Smiths, your Sue Smiths, um, your Casey Stoney's, the uh, memorable red kit with the umbro on the shoulder do you remember that the white umbro on the shoulder that's what I remember um so that's my first tv memory but we had a presentation night at um the academy so I would have been under 10s at the time 
and we had Kelly Smith as like a guest. She was the guest that handed out the medals. And um, obviously you could wear what you want to the presentation at that age. So obviously we all wear, wore our football kits. And um, I had my Red England stuff on. And obviously at the end we went up and asked to start her to sign it. And I've still got it now. It's, it's hanging up. <laughs> it hangs up in my wardrobe. Sometimes I think maybe I'll try it on, see if it still fits. But um, she, yeah, she was kind of like the first female footballer that um, I wouldn't say I connected with, but the first one that kind of I thought, okay, that's what I want to be like. Um, and then after that, it was Arsenal, Arsenal Women's. And again, she was playing for them. And we got to go and watch them at, oh, it was a men's stadium. I think it was like one of the first times that women could ever play, ever played like at a big men's stadium. And it was Arsenal Women and Steph Alton was still there. Um, and I remember, I don't know why I remember it, but I remember texting my mum during the game and I said, I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. And then ever since then, I was like, right, that's what I'm going to do. I want to be a footballer. Um, what, about, yeah. what about nowadays? Do you, do you get to watch much of the women's football now on the FA player or on BT Sport? Um, highlights, yeah, BT Sport, yeah, especially obviously with, with lockdown and whatnot. You, you know, well, I say lockdown. I can choose when I when I want to work. So if um, if if I want to, yeah, just relax in the day, then I'll I'll watch that. Obviously, the timings of the games haven't been ideal. Apart from when was it last night, the Chelsea game? Um, and there was was there three or four games in a row, women's football. Yeah, yeah. I was four. like, oh my gosh, what an evening. Um, so yeah, I've been watching as much as I can. I've been watching any football, to be fair. Put a League Two match on, and I'll watch it at the moment. Any game. Um, I love it. So, yeah, no, it's been really good. It's been good to see. And I still think even that little kid in me, yeah, I could play that. I could play against Arsenal. I could play against Wolfsburg. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you've no, got an good. FA Cup. You, you've got an FA Cup game coming up soon. So, who knows? You uh, good run. You uh, you might get your wish. Who knows? Who knows? I was listening to the uh, Two Girls Talk Balls podcast this morning while I was at work. And um, they actually came up with a really good point themselves. You've got a ready-made market for women's football but when all of the games are at 2 2 p.m on a sunday you can't go see anything so actually the fact while some of the fans are a little bit disappointed with the kickoff times and the with your your friday nights saturday morning sunday mornings actually for for players like yourself actually it it gives you the option to go to a game I, i always find it sort of quite amusing whenever the national league do their um their their midweek derbies under the lights and everyone who's everyone in women's football in the local area will all turn up and it's, it's great to see so if there can be a little bit more of that then I think it'd be fantastic but Jay how would you say it is from your perspective do you get a chance to watch women's football like the Lionesses or WSL or was all of your attention focused on footage of uh, your upcoming opposition and, and scouting? I will watch anything on the telly so as soon as this is done I'll probably catch the last 15 minutes of Charlton. I know they're playing Crystal Palace tonight in the uh, in the Championship. Um, I know England are on the telly. I, li- I will watch anything. I, I-, I just love the game. Um, anything I can take from it and learn from the game. I-, I am. I'm a student of the game. That's what it is. But I just love watching it, no matter no matter who is playing. Um, I did catch at work. I did catch a little bit of the Champions League. Um, it is the elite level. That that's what. I know even JB was saying then, and I'm the same. I aspire to be at that level. That's the level I want to get to, whether it's 
Chelsea or whether it is Wolfsburg, if if my family would move out to Germany, um, <laughs> <laughs> I would happily I would happily do it. That, that's that's the ambition. But um, you know, I, I manage my time accordingly. Obviously, I, I've been working. I got a, a job at a, a local college um, as a lecturer doing sport. Um, so I kind of manage my my time uh, effectively. Um, I do a lot of scouting on opposition teams, been been doing a lot on Cheltenham recently. It, it is difficult in, in the level we're at that the, the footage is limited and it is a shame. There needs to be more exposure of our level. There needs to be more footage. It needs to be easily accessible if we're gonna if we're gonna improve the players, if we're gonna improve the teams, the league quality. Um so it is so it is hard. Um but like I said, I will watch anything and I think the it is a monumental um deal for women's football as a whole. I think it's fantastic. And I've tweeted it and I'll shout it from the rooftops that don't forget us or don't forget any of the teams at the foundation. We, we are the reason why that 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 top level league is is pushing off as it is. Um, and if you for, forget your foundations, no matter what it is, if it's a house and you leave your foundations to rot, give it a few years and the whole thing comes crumbling down. And that's not what we want. We want the Super League to be kind of I remember about probably 10 years ago when Bendit Like Beckham was out. And it was all about America. It was the American dream. Everyone wanted to go to America. Now we're talking about England. Now we're talking about, you look at harder at Chelsea, world-class football players are playing in our country, on our doorsteps. And we're going to get better players that are coming, A, overshore, overshore and B, we're gonna, we've got some phenomenal talents in the England squad, Stanway and Walsh and brilliant female English technical players on our doorstep. We want, do you know what I mean? So, um, why would you A, not want to go and see them, B, not want to go and watch them? Um, but I think, like I said before, just just don't forget us. We, we need to we need to bridge the gap, not divide it. Um, and hopefully if we do that, the whole women's pyramid as a whole will continue to grow and, and rightfully so. It's getting the respect it deserves now. Yeah, definitely. I think you've hit the nail on the head. Um, it, there is a danger that if the FA don't, redirect their attentions further down the women's football pyramid over the next two to three years that gap will just become a chasm and the only way that any team will be able to breach that gap would be as if they've got men's premier league affiliated money so then you're looking at your likes of your southamptons your burnleys your wolverhampton wanderers they can afford to take that hit first and foremost i think they've got to incentivize the national league through sponsorship and prize money i've I spoke of this before, regular listeners all realise that this is me on my soapbox, but I understand that National League Tier 3 there is disproportionate to League 1 that Portsmouth men's team playing. So I'm not expecting that you guys would get the same prize money as that. But I look at the National League and I look at their cup competition, the Builder Base Cup. The very first round in that, the losers get 400 quid. I, I believe I'm right in saying that you don't even get 400 quid if you were to win your league. No, no, or, or the League Cup. There's, there's nothing. And I think that's it's a real good point and it's a valuable point in the way that the, the league's going to grow. It, and even with the FA Cup, um, I think people forget that women's football was banned for 50 years. So there is a catch-up in regards to that. And before the 50-year ban, just look at the figures, look at the attendances. Even in a game at Portsmouth down on, I think it was South Sea Common, we, we've seen pictures of it thousands of people flocking down to watch women's football um, and hopefully there'll be a time where it gets there and obviously I'm, I'm very privileged I'm a male in the women's game and there are there are females that have probably feel hard done by and I feel there's a, a responsibility on me to 
to kind of champion it in a way. Um, and I do feel like there needs to be more finances involved from the FA, with the FA Cup, with the league. And in turn, the successful teams will then be rewarded with financial incentives. And that money then can be invested in the football club. Once it's invested in the football club, you're going to aid the development of your players. You're going to, you're going to, um, the players are going to get better. You're going to win more games. It's going to earn more exposure. More people are going to come through the gates. They're going to spend more money. And next minute, it's this circle, but it's got to start somewhere. And I think a lot of people are questioning it, but no one's coming up with a solution yet. And hopefully we've got people that are working behind the scenes in the women's game to come up with that solution um, to support the growth of the game. Yeah, well, the WSL, I believe, as an entity, has existed now for five years. And I can appreciate where you want to get your, your pinnacle of your women's football pyramid sorted. But now it, it, it's so important that everyone involved in the National League board and the FA, they look and think, how can we make sure that there's a pathway for teams like Portsmouth to break into the championship? And then once they're in the championship, to be able to go, the championship needs to be full-time in the next two years. And I think it will be. Um, it, w- it could even be as as early as next year, if a couple of rumours I've heard of it to be believed. And, and that would be fantastic. But then what they've also got to do is if they give if if they that happens, a club like Portsmouth are vulnerable because there are going to be clubs coming and saying, Well, we can pay you full time wages. So you might then lose the cream of the crop in the National League up to the championship, who may not get the the playing time that they would necessarily in the National League. So you need to be able to do more than just pay petrol for a player. Because, Jade, I know that you're based in the north of the county, so you must rack up some miles travelling for to, to participate. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I, all, loads of the girls do. Um, you've got some down in Brighton that's travelling across. Um, but I think because it's it's always been that way with women's football, um, it, as much as it, you know, it can be an annoyance at time if there's traffic or it's, it's late day after work or whatever and you've got to travel straight to, straight, straight to training... Because it's always been that way, it's it's never seen as a massive problem. But like you said, when it's growing and the women's game's growing, that travel time is it. It's a make or break for some of us. Um, you know, if some of us got offered uh, something in the league above and it's over two hours of travel away, how can we financially afford to miss out on work to travel two hours one way, train two hours back, and do that two three times a week? We can't. Um, so, yeah, like you said, um, yeah, the miles do rack up, but you'll be surprised how many girls do it and are willing to do it. And probably even at championship level, I've got friends who are playing for East London teams, living in West London, if not further out towards Reading, who are travelling to East London. That's a lot, especially with that location, to try and get around that M25 at that time after work to get to an evening training session. It's a lot of travel. It's a lot of commitment. Some of them don't even drive. They get the train. So you can imagine how much that time, how much time that takes. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And it's, so, um, it's scandalous. And it, yeah. It, 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 the National League needs to be amateur. You need to be able to give players like that some sort of financial backing that makes it worthwhile because there's only so long you can maintain that for the love of the game. And yeah, it, I think we're, we're all in agreement. I think that it's really important and we're going to be banging that drum for uh, as loud as we can and 
encouraging people to to sponsor players at clubs um to go and watch them to even just sharing things on social media they the 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 bigger picture things like that have a massive massive impact but um bringing it back to your club a little bit um Portsmouth um obviously you've had quite a few changes within the club over the last 12 months or so um the biggest being uh, a move to a new home Jay, could you tell us a little bit about um, your move to Wesley Park and your partnership with Haven and Waterlooville and, and how it's been benefiting the club? Yeah, it's a phenomenal um, partnership. Um, one that um, was needed for the football club in order for us to reach our ambitions and grow. Um, I, I've spoken in the past. Um, we, we had a very good um, relationship with Baffins Milton and we still do with certain individuals down there. Steve Cripps. Um, a top, top man. Um, his heart was in the right place and he, he still is and he's got a lot of love for the football club and what he did for us over the over the years at Baffins was was near, near brilliant. It was fantastic for us. But unfortunately, as it was uh, well documented, a, a number of our games were called off and as kind of we alluded to before, um, we're not grassroots. I do not um, I do not classify this level as grassroots. My players are not grassroots. My staff are not grassroots, um, and I think it's highly disrespectful that the league is classified as grassroots. We're a sub-elite team, and we deserve standards, and we deserve to be playing it week in, week out, um, and representing the football club. And, and when Haverton and Waterlooville um, broke the news of, of changing to a 3G pitch, um, I was the first one on the phone straight away to Haven, and, and I wanted to, to go to the football club with a, with a solution. And in the past, I've always gone to the football club, and and um, whether that's whether that's Mark Catlin, Anna Mitchell, uh, whether that's Eric Colborn, whether that's Bill Griffiths, I've always gone because I always want every year I want to take the club further. I, I want to push the football club. And we've got to work within our means and, and I get that. And there's a lot of people that are just going, come on, let's slow it down. And But but everyone wants the same thing. We, we just got to we've got to be realistic. But as soon as this came, we, we had a solution. This was it. But we had a problem, which was the pitch. The solution was this. And not only are the facilities fantastic, but the people that work for the football club are fantastic too. I can't praise um, them enough, um, whether that's from Gary Pratt, who we obviously know that used to work at Front Lawn. He's been fantastic with us over, over the lockdown period and being able to use the pitch in recent weeks to do our one-to-one sessions, um, whether that's Henry Deacon from the media, whether that's Paul Doswell, the manager. And they're so accommodating, so welcoming, and it's been a phenomenal partnership. And I know JB will, will speak highly of the, the facilities and the access we get there, whether that's from the changing rooms at, at training, um, whether that's obviously for me personally, my family, being able to store all the equipment there. It just takes our professionalism to the next level, which is probably one of the reasons, and, and JB might might agree or disagree, it's one of the reasons why I think a lot of these girls do travel. Um, I take that as a massive compliment. If players are travelling an hour, an hour and a half, two hours to training, that is the biggest compliment anyone can give this football club for what we are doing. We're doing it in the right way. We're doing things in the right way. We're going in the right direction. And people that are wanting to travel and willing to travel an hour, hour and a half, two hours out of their way to come to the football club, we're doing the, the, the right things, which is is good for us. It's great to see. I've been quite critical of uh, Pompey Men's for a little while, um, especially during the period where you were get, suffering so many postponements. 
and just seeing uh, I live on Stones Throw from Fratton Park where the men's team play and there was just there was never any possibility that you guys would ever get to play there and it, it frustrated me a little bit so to see the commitment and the financial commitment they've put in to support the club is fantastic they while we'd all love to see women's football ground sharing with men's side I do appreciate that it's not always practical but they've given you a, a first class facility I've, I've been to a few of the games during the sort of the brief time that we we're allowed to be played and I, that pitch is beautiful that pitch is fantastic and to, for you guys to have the ability to train on it twice a week it's I think it, it's awesome what's been really nice to see is the fact that um, they supported the girls and creating bespoke women's kits as well and as, as a guy I tend to think that it, it's great but from a girl's from a from a girl or female perspective, Jade, what what is it like to get to have a female kit as opposed to being given cast off men's kits that are two three sizes too big? Yeah, um, it's amazing. It is one of them things that I think again as a female footballer you don't even expect. Um, so when that opportunity came up and we got asked, you know, how do you feel about it? These are the designs, blah blah blah. Everyone jumped on it straight away, um, and that would include any of the coaches, male or female as well, they were saying, yes, do it, do it, go for it. Um, but yeah, again, it's just another step into better professionalism from the club. Um, like Jay said, we are really grateful with all the backing that we've received um, and being, you know, the first team in the National League, what's that, championship as well, any team besides the Super League that have got our own female kit, I think says says a lot. And like I said at the beginning, um, shows professionalism of the club. But yeah, even just the fitting, and it sounds so silly, but you grow up wearing these baggy kits and you, you don't think anything of it. But you do hit a stage where, as a female, you, even as a male, you want to feel confident in what you're wearing. Look at look at Ronaldo. He's looks what 100% every game he has a certain the certain way he does his socks not just him Thierry Henry brought he brought the the high knee socks right he was the one that put them over the knees and that's what all kids wanted to do when they were younger um and even now as a female footballer you want to have your own little your routine or, or how you feel comfortable and having a female kit finally you don't have to roll your shorts up three four times to let them you know fit your fit your legs better we've got wider hips it's physio- uh, physiological it's there's no Two ways about it. We have wider hips as, as females, so straight leg shorts don't work. Um, <laughs> that's just it. And I think that was the biggest thing. And um, yeah, weirdly enough, you will, you will see the change and the confidence in the girls when they're wearing that kit now, um, even in change room. I'm not saying that we've got a club full of girls that like to look at themselves in the mirror because we really don't. But you do look at yourself in the mirror and you think, this, this fits really nicely. Like, I enjoy wearing this kit. I enjoy. I don't want to get it muddy, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. Yeah. So um, I think you, can, feel, you can certainly feel pride in it. It's a little bit like um, I know when I've ever done the youth football, I'm always quite passionate about finding sponsorship to make sure that they've got a training kit, to make sure they've got a training jacket. So you turn up to a club, uh, turn up to a match or training. If you feel the part and you look the part, it, you're more comfortable in it you you enjoy it. it you you lose a game you might be frustrated by it but at least you you feel like you're part of a collective um it's, it's a uniform ultimately and it always seems a little bit sad when you turn up to training and you see kids in all these different color kits um it's, it's even worse when you see them turn up in a saints kit i get but you don't get too many of them in pompey but when you see a club 
and you see a team all wearing the same training kit or the same match kit, this, their, their little rucksacks with a club logo on, it just looks smart. People notice it. I notice it. And I guarantee that every single passerby in a public park, they will notice it as well. And it, it definitely does reflect on the club as well. But um, talking about football within the local area, um, Portsmouth have long been the dominant team. But um, there has been a rise of competition with the uh, with the emergence of Southampton FC uh, and Moneyfield coming up in the leagues below. Um, but it looks like Portsmouth clearly recognise this with the improved facilities that they're giving the players. But how else are, are Portsmouth making sure that you're not overtaken by these clubs in the next few years? I think it's. I think a lot of the stuff that's happened at the football club is not necessarily with the emergence of other clubs in the local area. I think it's about doing the right thing, um, first and foremost, um, but also putting things in place to match the ambition of both myself as the head coach and of our chairman, Eric, and all these, all these, and they're not small things, all these, all these big things ultimately um, illustrate and, and display the the commitment from the football club. And, and I, I have to put on record that it's taken, it's taken a while. It has taken some time, um, but we are, we are where we are from the support of, of, of the main club, from the people there, from Anna, Mark Catlin, etc. Um, and, and I am very demanding. <laughs> that is something I'm passionate about. I, I want the best for everyone. But I think you've got to realise that we've got to work within our means. Um, we are a self-sustainable football club. Um, we, we've got some fantastic sponsorship deals with the University of Portsmouth, with Utilita. Even all of our players and even development players have got personal player sponsors um, and, and eventually then it's about investing that money in the, in the right areas and we're doing that we've done that with obviously all the girls with the training kits with their match kits um, it is professional and it is the standard that it's a minimum standard that I kind of expect at this level and where we want to go to um, obviously the, the added development team I think was big if not bigger the biggest news for me personally in the summer was was having a development team where we can house the the next generation of, of female football players in the Portsmouth area. Portsmouth is a is a city that that is so passionate about football. It's the reason I came down it. It is similar to, to, to my city or, or up north. It is very passionate about the football. They love the football and, and whether that's the boys, girls, no matter who it is, young, old, they all love football. And I think now it's putting in place a pathway with Pompey in the community um, to house the next generation and, and other um, local grassroots teams as well. There's a lot more emerging. Um, and we're there now to bridge the gap, to allow them to flourish and give them an opportunity and a platform for, for, for next the kind of elitist players to, 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 to perform. And we, we have got a look, obviously, to one side, we've got Brighton and Hove Albion, who are a male, um, the men's team are in the Premier League. The other side, Southampton, men's Premier League. Um, and they both got very, very strong female setups. One in the Super League, one in the National League in Tier Four, and we understand that. And I think for for the women's football as a whole, it's fantastic to have more clubs that are, are pushing and, and striving to to be the best they can be for women's football. Um, from obviously from a rivalry point of view, Portsmouth have always had a renowned rivalry with Southampton, and and that has stemmed across into the women's game in terms of the competitiveness because the games are always fantastic games. Um, we've had some brilliant games over the past with them um, and, and they are arguably the, the, the team that are emerging um, but again we, 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 we will keep pushing they'll push us we'll push them and we want to continue to be the biggest club in Hampshire and like you said there are other teams 
in and around the area that are that are emerging. Um, what what Moneyfields are doing with the the, the kind of um, financial backing they've got, or, or obviously with the, with the men's team being in 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 and around the, the Southern Counties League, what they're doing is is brilliant. Um, you see Bournemouth down the road as well in the same league, and they're really pushing it. So from a from a bigger picture point of view, from a women's football point of view, brilliant. The more teams that are pushing. And, and striving to be at the top, the better it's going to be for the game. Um, from a, a Portsmouth point of view, um, we are um, the number one team in Hampshire. We have been and we will continue to be for as long as we can. It's um, just going back to something you said earlier about Portsmouth being a football city. I think it was Harry Redknapp when he took over the Portsmouth men's job um, years ago that he said one of the, the greatest things about the city was the fact that you walk through the streets and you don't really see too many Chelsea shirts, Man United shirts, Liverpool shirts, because the vast majority of people are all wearing Pompey shirts. And um, it just goes to show in the commitment and well, in the, in the interest that's being drummed up in Portsmouth. I've, I, 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 I follow things like Facebook likes and I look at what's going on and I see when Portsmouth women put posts out, the interaction that is coming is is increasing quite quickly. And I think it's a lot of it comes from men's fans that are actually quite, it seems sad that I have to call them forward thinking, doesn't it? They have to be considered forward thinking fans to entertain women's football. It's yeah, but I think there are a lot of those people that are quite open to it. I know that even with my, within my family, I've got two season ticket holders that that are itching to get to uh, watch Pompey women play. They've been sort of following me and my reporting of it for a while. They've, they've been listening to me talk about it over uh, family dinners, but that they, they can't wait to come watch a game. My um. My one-year-old Erin, she's got a she's got a Pompey shirt. She's got number seven on the back, and um, I'm itching to get her to a game so she can um, she can lead the team out. Um, this is one of the mascots, and we all can't wait to be there. And I think, as a city, I think it's it's everyone's starting to get behind the team a lot more, and it, it's growing, and I think it's growing quite rapidly. So, and it's really encouraging to see. So, the sooner we can get fans in for matches, the the better. Um, but Jay, just touching on something else you said, you mentioned about the, uh, the reinstatement of the, the development squad for Portsmouth. Could you tell me a little bit about the initial reasons for the for the team disbanding in the first place and the effect it had on the players in the club? Yeah, so um, obviously when I first joined the football club, we had a, an owner, Mick Williams, a very well-known, very um, well-regarded individual in and around the Portsmouth area. And he was the chairman at the time. He, him, and his his his, his wife Anne, uh, and with the help of Bill, they, they and Keith, they they ran the football club, um, and it got to a certain point where the outgoings um, were significant, and um, there were a lot of players um, where Mick was Mick was very he was he was brilliant and, and he was he listened to a lot of things and and I think he he tried to empathise with a lot of the girls at the time I came in. Players were paying £250 or finding their own sponsor and they weren't getting any expenses. They were paying their reg fees, etc. And, and Mick was very like, we can't have that. These are female players. They, they shouldn't be doing that. Men aren't doing that. So why are females? And he kind of tried to, to change the, kind of change the landscape of female football at that time for Pompey um, and was taking a lot of the finances on himself and his wife. And eventually got to a point where it wasn't sustainable. Um, and the development team was when we transitioned under the umbrella of the main club, which he was a uh, him and again Anne and, and, and Bill and Keith 
and even Barry, they 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 pushed that, and it was a, a fantastic proposal to the club. And when the club took it on board, as obviously the, the the past history of the of the main club with the financial disarray and in years gone by, that they're, they're a self sustainable football club, and financially things have to they have to be viable, they have to make sense. And it didn't make sense the amount of outgoings we had and the lack of income. So when we sat down around the table, it was a case of well. What's going to go? And unfortunately, the development team was one, but it all there was always a burning ambition to have it back when we could. So we were kind of stripping down the parts of the football club to build it back up again to make sure it can stand on on two feet. Uh, and that's what we can do now. And the introduction of the development team was something that we could we could bridge the gap between the BTEC that is study that Pompey in the community um, and the first team and and enable the the next generation to flourish. Mia Adaway was was a prime example of a player where at under-16 level and at VTech level, she was arguably one of the most talented players in the league. Yet at first team, it was a huge jump for her, the intensity, the quality, the small details that, that JB was speaking about before when she was at Reading. And she needed something to house her and, and aid her development. And we've got players now, Freya Jones, another player, Grace Reynolds, that are emerging through this development team that we've set up. And um, it, it was a long time coming, but we had to do it at the right time. And um, it was brilliant that Eric and, and Anna, Anna and the rest of the, the, the staff at, at Portsmouth agreed that it was going to be the right time to do it. And, and that's where um, we were fortunate to, to bring in Daisy Sims. So, yeah, you've obviously mentioned the Daisy who runs the, uh, the development side. How important is it that the club brought in a female coach and increased the female representation within the coaching setup? Um, I think first and foremost, um, Daisy was brought in because she's a quality coach and a quality person. Um, it's as simple as that. When I first met her and first spoke to her, I was blown away by the passion she had for the football club, the passion she had for female game. Um, and I just thought I want to work with her. And that was it. And I know she had probably four or five other jobs. Some were even paid. And I, I literally did everything I could to get to the football club because I knew she'd be um, a fantastic addition and an asset. Um, obviously, having female representation within the club is is massive, and it is something I think all clubs should do more um, to try and champion in a way. Um, and I think that there is more now from from the FA and the governing bodies, etc., to try and get more females into coaching. Um, and it is good, but I think it's also vital for the younger girls um, to to have uh, a person that was previously playing for the football club. Daisy was at Pompey; she's played for Pompey. Um, she's got a lot of friends that have, have played or are still playing in the game now. She's gone over to America. She's she's played the American dream and, and been over there. And ex- her experiences are one that you you can, a lot of these girls idolise and, and, and can, can kind of empathise. I can't. I, I never played in a women's game. I didn't know what it was like 10 years ago when Daisy was playing in an extra large men's kit that, that had someone's name ripped off the back to enable her to play. And... That was a men's kit. Do you know what I mean? I, I've never experienced that, but, but Daisy has. So now she knows what she wants. She knows the standards she wants to bring in. And, and she's added not only her, but obviously Gemma Tewksbury, who's our assistant uh, coach. Again, a former player. Um, Yeovil's top goal scorer. She's come from the female game. And not only are they an asset for, for the football club and they're brilliant people, brilliant coaches, brilliant human beings, but, but I've learned a lot from them. Um, and, and, and I think that's crucial to, to the development of our football club. Her ears must be burning. Um, sadly, Daisy was uh, is unable. She was hoping to join us today, but she's been unable to. And I've just seen a text message pop up, up saying that she's uh, apologising for not being able to make it. So, uh, yeah, her ears are definitely burning <laughs> on that one. Um, 
just sort of sort of going on back to you, Jade, for a moment. You were named captain of the club when uh, Amelia Southgate hung up her boots. Did you expect it? Um, no, I don't think anyone expects it. Um, obviously, at the time, I was the vice captain, and people naturally, people in the team even said, "Well, you're the vice captain, but you, so you'll probably get the captaincy." But I don't think you look at it like that at all. Um, as much as the vice captain and the captain work together for the team. I don't know. I you, you don't see it as that's the next step. I don't think. I think captaincy should and most probably is for the majority of teams based on reward and and the personality that comes with it and maybe I guess how how the coach and the rest of the team see you as a player. Um, so of course I was I was delighted with it. It was it was an amazing thing and it's something that I guess again as a kid you do think you know even if you haven't got that kind of captain personality to you. The first thing you want to do is wear that captain's armband. I mean, I presume you, we've all been there in under tens, and the captain of the under tens goes off and gives it to another player, or she gives it to her. See, I said he, <laughs> she or he gives it to another <laughs> player, and um, the first thing you think is oh, that, that is quite cool. Like, I want the captain's armband. So, yeah, of course, I was delighted and, and forever grateful um, to all the coaches and staff and Jane in particular for for trusting me with it, um, and I think. I mean, I hope I've taken it on well. I think in terms of the style of captaincy, I think me and me and Mills, me and Amelia were are completely different. Um, but I don't see that as a bad thing whatsoever. I don't think any captain in the Premier League is the same as another captain at another team. I think everyone's different. Um, but yeah, it was amazing and it still is amazing. And I think with the team being so close-knit and all of us girls being close-knit socially outside of football, inside of football, um, it's been made so much easier. I wouldn't turn around and say I'm the captain of Portsmouth Women Football Club. I am just a team member of Portsmouth Women Football Club because we are so close-knit and because it doesn't go manager, captain, players. It's one entity. Everyone is together. If one person says something, you know, everyone's backing it or, or you disagree and you, you chat about it or if Jay says something, we all follow him and that's how it is. Do you know what I mean? If, if I say something, Jay's like, yeah, okay, fair enough. And we discuss it. And, and again, that's on the pitch and off the pitch. And I think that's made the transition from, I guess, player to captain so much easier and so much smoother. Have you found that you've lent on your teammates at all? For example, um, is there a player that you think that you can relate to or engage with and, and get a reaction out of? And maybe there's a player that you think, well, actually, I think so-and-so probably could be good for them. And maybe they play in a position that's a little bit closer to them. So maybe you can have your little, have a word with someone and get them to kind of perform your role and kind of delegate, I suppose. Yeah, I, mean, I think, like I said, we're all quite close-knit. Um, obviously, communication is massive in football in general and in women's football needs to be bigger it needs to be spoken about more and we literally spoke about that last night on our on our team's call um regarding communication and having to to do it more on the pitch let alone off the pitch um but yeah I wouldn't say there's one particular player I lean on to get something out of another player but there of course are players that are maybe better friends with other players outside of football so you know that that player will say something to another player um and yeah I think I have probably taken a bit more time to try and understand the different players. And I think um, me and Jay actually spoke about at the beginning of, gosh, I don't even know what season it was now, probably not last season, season before when captaincy changed. And we spoke about how certain players react to players and how they react to certain 
tones of voice compared to other players and it's all those these minor little things that you've got to start thinking about but at the end of the day I think because we respect each other within the team it doesn't really matter who says what you just listen to it it is what it is um and I feel we're at the stage now where if something is said on the pitch it's left on the pitch and I know it's so easy to say and it's such a cliche thing to say but and I've said it to Jay again women like to know why they're doing something not just women men as well but women in particular we like to know why we're doing something especially the girls on our team we want to know you're moving there but you're moving there because of this and and that's just us and I think um we have finally got to that stage where we can say something and it's left on the pitch Jay can say something's left on the pitch I say something's left on the pitch um and like I said it's just that respect that we have for each other whether it be it could be the, a dev player telling me to do something and I turn around and I'll be like oh okay fair enough doesn't matter who it is, dev player, could be Daisy, could be Jay, could be Jem, anyone, could be Lee, goalkeeper coach. If they say to do something, you listen to it. And that's that's that. And, you know, if I say something to Jay, he will listen to that and take that on board. And I think that's why um, we have probably progressed well in the last two seasons as a team and as a unit. No one has been left behind. Not one player. I think one of the biggest credits to Jay and the setup you've got there full stop is the fact that even throughout the times where you've suffered a lot of postponements, you've suffered through lockdown, the retention of players within that squad says it all really. It means that you've got players that there are I I can probably pick now, I won't name them, at least seven or eight players in that Pompey squad who are easily at that championship level. And there probably are championship clubs that have Text Jay, but these you, as a team, you thought, no, actually, we like what we're building here. We, you, everyone buys into it, and I think that's a massive credit not only to Jay at the top, but to everyone in and around. It's you can have the greatest manager in the world, but if you don't have that team ethos within your immediate colleagues and peers, then it, it's just it's it's not the same. But so it's brilliant. I'm I'm really excited to get to get to see Pompey women again. Um, as a men's football fan, I'll, I'll be honest, I'm, I'm a Man United fan. I've had a season ticket previously. I've been supporting them since I was about 10 years old. And so that's that's over over 30 years now. And there's always been that conversation at school. Oh, you're glory hunter. Why don't you support Pompey? Why don't you support Pompey? And I've always followed Pompey. I've always gone and watched Pompey. I've been to home and away games. I've been to Wembley to see Pompey. So there's... Um, I like Pompey, but I, I'd always thought a bit of fraud if I was there singing, I'm Pompey till I die, because I'm not really, I'm Man United till I die. And when it comes to men's football, I think you just have your one club. Women's football, it seems to be a little bit different. I've got an affinity with every club that I've ever had any interaction with. And I, the longer that since 71 goes on, the harder a Sunday afternoon is for me, because I'm looking at everyone's results, as opposed to just a couple of clubs I first started to chat to. But What's really nice about Pompey Women is I get to you're on the doorstep, so I get I get to watch you more. And I'd go as far to say I am a Pompey Women fan. I I quite regularly appear on one of the um, the Man United Women's uh, YouTube channels, and I'll talk about it and I will chuck in a wee because I feel there's affinity there. But I feel like I'm a Pompey Women's fan, and it, it's really nice as someone that's lived and grown up in Portsmouth that I've actually got what all these Pompey men's fans have got, and they'll probably laugh at me for saying when my family and friends listen to this bit. But it's actually really nice. You feel like you've got a bit more of a stake in the club. And it's, yeah, it's nice. It's, um, it's fun. And I'm, yeah, I'm itching to get back. And uh, 
I've, I've already emailed your chairman, seeing if I can get in as press for the FA Cup game, even though it's behind closed doors. So, uh, yeah, but I will be there as a fan, but I will also be there working it, hopefully, fingers crossed. So, um, obviously, we've got FA Cup to look forward to, but we don't have any league football to look forward to. So, prior to the announcement of the National League being cancelled, um, the Football Association sent out a survey asking the club's views on how best to conclude the season. Jay, what were the club's view and your personal and the club's views on how the, the season should have been ended? So the the view from the football club was unanimous from the board um, all the way through to staff, all the way through to players. Um, and it wasn't made by the board. It was made by all of us. I have, um, obviously speaking about JB being the captain, we have, we have a leadership group, which involves um, JB, um, James, who was my assistant, who is now moved on to an operational uh, manager's role. He, he looks after a lot of the things off the pitch to enable me to look on, on the pitch. Um, so he's involved in that and, and two other players are vice captains, um, Hannah and Dan. And in that leadership group, we talk about a lot of things. And as JB said, ultimately, the, the final decisions of a lot of things fall on my head and the book lies with me. But I want to get an insight into the players. I, I want to know what the players are thinking, what the staff are thinking um, and, and make sure it's unanimous. And I knew when I spoke to the players, they wanted to play on because all the staff wanted to play on. Eric wanted to play on and the whole football club. And that wasn't only because we're doing well and we are doing well in the league, um, but we wanted to play on. That, that was as simple as. We we felt we could. Um, again, I, I, the fact that we were we were um, branded as, as grassroots and, and that the survey went from tier three all the way down to tier six, um, it, it, it baffled me. And, and it still does. There, there are teams in, in tier six that, are solely there for the participation and the the engagement and interaction of women's football. There are teams now in Tier 3, like us, who have got staff and players who have got a burning ambition to be an elite team. So when you're, you've got teams that are there that, that, that rock up on a, on a Sunday, have a little kick about with the mates and go home, and teams like us that, that train throughout the whole week, do all our analysis, we, we, we are we set up as a sub-elite team. We, we are professional with everything we do. Last night, as, as JB alluded to, we, we, had a, we had a Zoom session all around uh, Cheltenham, how we were going to play against Cheltenham, the, the game plan, um, and we build that up, and that, that, that's not grassroots. So... It baffled us and, and obviously we're outweighed by the amount of teams at the lower end of, of, of the pyramid. So as soon as that happened, we, we knew it was going to be the case. But we wanted to play on. If if the if the season was to be curtailed, um we, we were we we accepted a, a points per game at seventy five percent threshold. We thought whoever is top of the league after seventy five percent of the games deserved to go up. And I will hand on heart say if that was Oxford, Watford, Yeovil, Cardiff. Even Chichester, if they were top of the league at that point, they deserve to go up. And, and, and that's for the sake of women's football. There needed to be movement. And I'm so glad the FA have, have seen sense and gone, do you know what? There will be movement because there are teams that are hitting a glass ceiling. Southampton, Ipswich, Wolves. Um, and there are teams in our league that can easily transition to championship. I have no doubt if we were to, 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 to be enabled to, to, to make the move up, 90% of our players would transition into the championship with 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 ease. And, and and that is how confident I am of this football club to be able to play in, in that league. But um, we'll, we'll wait and see how that unfolds. Um, we applied for promotion. Um, we will apply and we will continue to apply year on year because that is our ambition as a football club. That is the ambition of the, the owners of the men's football club, the Eisners. They want to see the, the men's and, and the females 
um, playing championship football in, if not higher. And, and when you've got people like that that want to back you, we'll, we'll push as, as much as we can. Yeah, definitely. I think you've touched on the movement being vital and it is because, you, as you've said, with Southampton, Wolves and Ipswich, is the, the prime examples, they've they've absolutely walked their leagues. They're, they've finished top of the league at both of the breaks in lock, the respective lockdowns and their continued participation at their current level stifles competition. And every team within their leagues, with the nicest possible way, will be glad to see the back of them. And as much as you might th- you might not want clubs within your league that might put pressure on you and might make things a bit bit, bit harder to win leagues, you've touched on it earlier yourself. Having Southampton in the same league as Portsmouth would push Portsmouth higher, faster, further, and it, everyone benefits. the The fans will benefit. It adds a rivalry. Um, it's it, it's, it's a story. Um, you've got local press who want to get involved in that. National press want to talk about it. People want to talk about it. Kid, young girls will play youth football. They'll, they'll talk about it in at school. Hopefully, they'll go to these games. And I think it, it, it's only going to be a, a positive thing. And I look forward to seeing how that resolves because that there needs to be that movement. I'm positive of that. And I'm encouraged that the FA, all the criticism that they do get, some fairly, quite a lot unfairly, it's shown that they, they are forward thinking and they they listen as well. They, they listen to people like yourself and they take on board these views and they can see when uh, when common sense does uh, present itself. Yeah, just, just to, sorry, just to jump in. And I think that's crucial. Like people like myself in the game might... I have a biasness and an agenda for Portsmouth Football Club women. That is the team I am affiliated with. That is the team I have spent five years of my life trying to support and build and, and aid. But ultimately, I have got a responsibility for women's football as a whole and to aid it. And, and I personally, with, with no disrespect to any teams, I've got no disrespect to any teams. There are teams in our league that, that haven't been competing. And there are teams in the leagues below that would have taken their place if COVID hadn't, hadn't impacted. And teams like Ipswich and teams like Southampton are teams that are worthy of our league. They are fantastic head coaches and managers, some fantastic young, talented players that have come up through RTC and that deserve the right to to compete at our level. And if teams like that were to come up, we'd thrive off that. I'd thrive off that as a a coach, coming up against Marianne Spacey and and Joe Sheehan down at Ipswich, two fantastic people in the women's game and highly, highly thought of. The players they've got, obviously I won't list names, but the players they've got will, will cause our players um, problems. And ultimately, we've got to find the solutions and that's going to aid the development of our players and, and, and it's going to aid the development of the league, the exposure, the competitiveness. You, you'll have less 8-9-0 and nine nil victories and, and more 2-2s or 3-2s or, and these competitive games that will will bring people to the games. And as you alluded to there before, obviously I'll hand it back to you. Portsmouth versus Southampton, in, 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 in any league, in any cup competition, draws attention. And, and the sooner we can get that game on, in what, what, whether it's last year's Hampshire Cup final, that, that's still obviously up in open arms, whether that's in a league game, in an FA Cup game, it draws attention and, and, and rightfully so, not just because of the two names, but because of the quality of both teams. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So I'm, I'm conscious we're hitting the hour mark and... Um... Our listeners have probably got things to do. Um, those that are running their uh, their 10Ks are probably, well, they're probably long finished them by now. Me, I'd probably be halfway through <laughs> at this point. 
Um, so just to kind of finish up, Jade, there has been talk that where there is no league a campaign to finish the season off about looking at having a, a short-term one-off regional cup tournament. How would you how would you welcome that as a player? With open arms, um, I think you could have uh, you could say there's no nothing riding on it, no points, nothing, and uh, every player would welcome it with with open arms. I think any any game from now until the start of next season. Um, will be treated as competitive, whether it be pre-season game, a friendly game, a training game, inter-house game, any game will be treated as competitive because we've missed out on that much football. So, yeah, if there is a small little mini tournament, mini league that runs from from whenever we can till the beginning of next season or the beginning of the pre-season of next season, um, I would be surprised if any team decided to to go against that um, and not join it if possible. Um, Because I'll tell you now that every player uh, in in Pompey, for Pompey women, um, is training like we've got a game for the next, every Sunday for the next three months. Every single player, inside of training, outside uh, outside of training, there's not one player that doesn't think we've got some sort of competitive match coming up. If we've got an 11 v 11 next next week at, at training, I tell you now that that will be the biggest session that we've had in a long time. And that's mentally, physically, um, in the sense that we approach that as if that's a, a real competitive game because that's how eager we are to play. Um, so, yeah, I would be more than happy to play against any team anywhere in the country, if necessary, if it means that we get to play 90 minutes of football. Yeah, I think it'd be a real missed opportunity if local FAs don't do this. I think you've got a window of opportunity from the middle of May to the end of June. You've got six weeks to get a tournament running then. And with no Premier League football, with no League Championship, League One or League Two football, this is a great opportunity to build and grow an audience because there are probably hundreds of thousands of people that would love the opportunity to watch live football. And... um, whether they have no any previous knowledge of women's football, it, it doesn't matter. I, I think that they would be itching to come and get behind their local team. And I know that once that is confirmed in particular areas at Sense 71, we're going to be advertising the hell out of it because one thing I am passionate about is support WSL. Brilliant. If you're based in Hampshire and you want to drive up to London to watch Arsenal or drive up to Manchester to watch City or uh, or United, brilliant. But there is a local team that plays on your doorstep that you probably don't know about, whether it's Pompey playing in the National League or whether it's a, a tier six side that you that might not even be charging to watch the games. But to have a, to have spectators watching them that aren't blood relations, friends or family would mean a lot to those players. And I hope that those regional FAs do. Yeah, they they take that opportunity and use that little window wisely. And um, as as we've touched on, there are some good teams playing across sort of three tiers within the South Coast. And I'll tell you what, even just straight away now, you look at Southampton FC, Southampton Women, Portsmouth, Moneyfields, Bournemouth, even just that, the six teams I've mentioned there, that's a great little tournament. Lots of local derbies, lots of good quality players and lots of competitive games. I'd I, i I'd pay money to go and watch all of those and I think it'll be brilliant. And on kind of like a last note on that, 
if there was no WSL or championship, there are facilities there within the FA and the FA player. Some of these games have got to be televised. televised. Definitely. People will watch them. People will watch them. Um, although, as I say, I'm kind of contradicting myself because I want I want bums on seats. I want people to get out and go and watch watch teams where uh, where possible, where safe to do so. But um, I say I'm mindful that obviously we're, we're, I'm taking up a lot of your time. Um, we haven't really talked about the FA Cup game as much as we'd liked. But as I say, I'm hoping that um, I might be able to get press access. So uh, I'll uh, try and complement that with uh, a short podcast as well so uh, that game will not go without being spoken about on since 71 so i just want to say thank you for your t- for you giving up your your evenings to talk to me um i'm really excited to uh, see you guys in person um whether that's uh it's just we get we don't get we probably don't won't get to give you that handshake or anything that we'd like it'll just be the little elbow bump but um yeah i'm really looking forward to it i'm um i wish you all the best in the fa cup tie against cheltenham and um yeah Hopefully it's a nice sunny day for that game. Yeah, fingers crossed. Cheers. Thanks, Jim.